when I create space, I don't think through traditional function. I'm thinking through the way how I would like to spend, you know, the rest of my day, the rest of the week, or the rest of my life. I think in the end of the day, comforts, comfort winning, you know, and killing design. So instead of fighting with this, I guess we just have to find a way how to not hate it. Hey streamers and dreamers, it's Otto Kent, and you're listening to another episode of our Electronic Beats Conversation Series. This is where you find in-depth interviews with some of our favorite people in music, culture, and design right now. And you already heard my guest for today at the beginning of this episode. It's Harry Nareev, architect, furniture designer, artist. He works and operates with his own company, Crosby Studios, based in New York and Paris. And I must say, the two quotes in the beginning came as a little bit of a surprise for me, especially the second one, comfort kills design. Because if you've already seen some of Harry's designs, you know that he's not so famous for making comfortable stuff. I called Harry at his studio in Paris, where he both lives and works, and even has invited people for tours. I put some links in the show notes for you to check them out. And even watching these room tours, I think you can get a pretty good feeling of what Harry's style is all about. Harry has found a name for what he does, transformism, and he once described this style as finding beauty where no one else wants to look. Transforming one thing into another, and that's exactly what Harry does. A gaming chair made out of lace, old computer screens as mirrors, a denim DJ booth, a sofa made entirely out of old Balenciaga clothes wrapped in plastic. Harry Nareev truly has a unique approach to his designs, so I'm more than excited to have him in for our Electronic Beats conversation today. Harry and I talk about how he connects to the digital and the physical in his work, how he disconnects from the digital world every now and then, and his ideas and inspirations, and about MTV Cribs. I can't wait for you to hear this. Let's get into it. Harry, thanks for joining us. Of course. You're in your home right now. I'm at my studio in Paris right now. Okay, this is your studio. Is it your studio and home now, or was it always just the studio? Um, it's been a place where I work and, and live okay. at the same time because I have to experiment and, oh, perfect. you know, life space and through my practice. Absolutely. The reason why I asked is because I can see behind you what looks like one of the pieces from one of the walkthroughs. Those are the mirrored screens, right? Yeah. Those are the mirror screens that I use this old dinosaur screens from old office environment and turn them to um wall murals it's in this world where half of our work gets done on zoom it's so rare that you get to see a different angle of someone's interior <laughs> so the first thing i noticed when we did our interview was like oh i can see the other side of this room <laughs> which is a function of these wonderful pieces that you created and also just immediately felt like I was I was getting a tour of your place, which I thought is so cool. I've never thought about them this way. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think that so much of the work that we're going to talk about today, your work as an interior designer, is about bringing the digital into the physical. And I love that the first part of our interview was something very physical that I had to relate to very digitally. And one of them is how we increasingly exist less in our physical world. And one of the things that I took away from your work before coming on this call today was how much of your work forces people to come to terms with this conundrum. Yeah, all the work before, you know, it came to life, coming in my head and then and come into digital platform. And then after that, you know, painfully long and long, long time coming to the real world. And this process is pretty standard for everyone. But when you see things, you know, in your mind and then you see things in the screen and then you see the same thing in the real life, it's interesting transformation that everybody enjoy. And I really like to show this process a little bit for everyone that's why we have so many digital areas and aspects in our work where we 
not try to hide it from, you know, public eyes, but we actually embrace it and bring it to the party. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing it to the party is something I know very well as someone who back in my party throwing days did a lot of interior decorating and design of those spaces. And uh, I also can really relate to the fact that sometimes you have to live with the, the ideas first before they can even live outside of your own world. Sometimes that comes from necessity, especially in if you come from lesser means or you're trying to build from nothing. And I love the fact that in the beginning of your career, a lot of the big pieces that were written about your work seem to center around you showing off what environment you lived in and that you designed for yourself. You know, in, in a way, I kind of get used to that. But you're right. My first works I did for myself because I had nothing and, you know, I didn't have any clients. So I was the only person to experiment with. And along the life, I figured that other people attracted by some objects and some functions and they see this funky, different way of living, you know. And then, I mean, when you commit your life as an art installation, there is no way back. And I never look back. So one thing that I think our listeners will agree upon is that often these days, either people see how your house looks through your Instagram or your social media, or they come back to your house for a dinner party. But more so these days, people come back to your house after a long night out, as it depends on where you live. But at least for me, some of my favorite design choices in an interior are thinking about how to make people comfortable after a long night of dancing and uh, creating a space that I can host in that respect. And something about your work also brought up in me like the ways in which if I was coming home from a night out, how f your place would be probably the first place I would want to go. Not just because of how nice uh, the furniture or the vibes might be, but also because of how playful it is. And I wonder if that was something that you did in, in the beginning or still do? Do you enjoy bringing people back to your house to have them experience the playfulness of where you live? You know, it's an interesting question. I think in design, interior design world and in art world, we have very specific territory for public spaces, for hospitality, residential, and each um, function has a very specific way of you know, communicating. The dialogue is different, the light is different, the color is different. So I, from the very beginning of my career, completely disregard and simply ignore this um, facts. And um, when I create space, I don't think through traditional function. I'm thinking through the way how I would like to spend, you know, the rest of my day, the rest of the week, the rest of my life. And through them, I don't really care if I'm in an apartment or in, you know, in a lobby or lounge of some private nightclub, or it's just a art installation, you know, gallery or museum. And I think when you uh, collectively bring into your space, you're mostly archiving memories and feelings that you like to you know leave and i think that's how would i explain my personal space but also my personal space it's my big experiment it's a laboratory there is no such a thing that i can say it's like it's a style or you can break down a style it's just a bunch of different things together they're not supposed to be sometimes in the same room but um it's also, I guess, an interesting uh, result of what's happening in my mind. If this makes that any sense. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love hearing you talk about democratizing the way in which you design based on how we've segmented how spaces should look versus how they function. And that comes through 
in the way in which you have done some of these capsules. For example, one is is showing right now, right? You're you're currently showing a piece in a pretty beautiful space in in France. Yeah, that's that was one of my favorite project. It's still out till uh, beginning of next year, and I was super proud to work with Minister of Culture of France, and they have a very interesting department that in charge of all the furniture, historical furniture, and objects of all the friends we call Mobile National. And essentially it's just a department that um, archiving and taking care and also thinking of future of the objects and furniture of friends. So I did um, two objects. They're pretty big. Um, one of them five meter and diameter it's a huge um lounge space like a capsule or a kiosk or like a little summer house and the idea of this freestanding rooms came from me always trying to change the reality and sometimes it's really hard because you have to work with certain budget with certain walls and certain idea of context and then I came up with the idea to create this capsules collection. They're freestanding rooms that just can live their own life without any specific uh, dialogue with the surrounding. But then it's actually create interesting conversation. The pictures I saw of the one uh, most recent was it looked as if you were playing off of the classical paintings and tapestries of the space that were being displayed. So this work was inspired by French tapestry and very uh, specific type of tapestry that works um, with um, royal gardens. And it's very interesting motif. It's, it looks like a picture of, you know, it captioned this period in... Uh, there are so many details and you can really imagine how it was back in the day there. And I used this uh, image. Obviously, I couldn't use the real tapestry because it's priceless piece and it's belonged to the friends. But most importantly, that to create one tapestry usually takes six years, believe me or not. Um, I think it's one of the first version of pixelated uh, technique because each, you know, dot and color, you have to assemble one by one, which for me, very interesting. Um, yeah, that is fascinating. I've never thought of that. And it is a mechanical process versus some kind of artistic stroke. So it kind of has that one-by-one-bit element to it. Exactly, which kind of remind me of Pixel. And you can't really see tapestry for six years because you do it backwards and you roll it up. And then after six years, you unroll the piece and the first time see, you know, the real, which is not a flip side. So you work on a flip side, but then you see the face of it first time, which is beautiful. So you can't really touch or breathe on this piece anymore. It's a really becoming an, um, a masterpiece. And then I printed uh, this uh, motif, and I changed it a little bit using AI to bring some uh, modern reality on the picture, the things that didn't exist back in the day. And I printed... Like what? Can you give me an example? Uh, it was like, you know, like vehicles, airplane... It was a pyramid of Louvre, like things that for me um, can be like in a hundred years uh, register is this like specific period of time, not necessarily like this year or this century, but just in general, a new layer of history. And we printed with uh, one beautiful artisan in France, Pierre Frey, and then velvet material, and it, it, it looks like tapestry, but it's actually printed 
version of it, which is super cool. Yeah, it it is really beautiful in photos, and it it looks like you did take something off of the walls because there are pieces around that similarly look to it, right? Exactly. Yeah, we chose these pieces to match the installation and put them in the wall. It's fantastic because I was reading how you got some of your start for your business working in co-working spaces. Yeah, it's it's kind of can be like a conference room, really. You know, like this is my world. Sit nowhere, touch nothing kind of thing. But it's funny. Do, did you encourage people at the opening to be in the space with you? Oh, yeah, we we had some um, private um, visitors and I try to explain them, you know, bring them inside and sit down and have conversation. I mean, most of my work is about a space where you can have a conversation with someone. It's so important for me. You know, if I do a table, it's a really uh, uber big table that can host, you know, many people together and kind of gather in, in reunion and certain way if it's a sofa you know it's like a full size full room just this sofa can take the whole room from wall to wall and i really like the fact that people can not knowing each other uh coming together and they have maybe one common things they know me and then it's a creating a conversation without me being involved in it. And that's one of my favorite part. Yeah, the the tours of your homes and your studio spaces, they remind me a lot of the kinds of places where someone wants someone to start a conversation based on something that they're displaying, which to me also has a very family feel to it, where you have your china and you hope that someone wants to talk about the china depending on uh, what generation you're from there's always something in the house that fits a memory or something to be proud of or a class status symbol but you don't necessarily um bring a lot of those conversations in the space you they're much deeper conversations about technology and things like that. I, w- I wonder if there's one particular piece in your house that even for all of your friends who know you um, like to talk about the most. You have to understand my space is always rotating with the objects because it's my job. There is, I don't really own um, anything and for the long time because pieces are going in and out. You know, it's like like one of my friends, she's a shoe designer. And I mean, a Mwadi, and she has enormous numbers of shoes at her home. And it's, I don't even know if she had a chance to wear them. It's just, you know, it's when you have this profession, you don't really think to earn thing and you don't treat them as your belongings. So I... I think I don't have data of pieces that can be there for more than a year, but there's enough to be excited and shocked. I love that. I also kind of, it kind of is a leading question to, do you think that we are living digitally more than we're living physically now? Unfortunately, I think, yeah, most of the people that start that they, not with open a window, listen birds, but they open a, their phone screen. I mean, I try to train myself. And for example, this morning, by 10 a.m., I didn't touch my phone once, and I wake up 7.30, so I was thinking and creating. It's pretty hard, this exercise. And my work focused on bring you know, physical attention to people and kind of distract their moment from their screens and be present and I try to be present with them as well so it's also encouraged me to be with them one of those moments in your work that really touched upon that for me was at least what I physically or mentally associate with the um, transparent section of Photoshop when you're 
when you're designing something and uh i is that is that a a reference i should be getting with the gray checker that you use exactly one of my okay. first um job i when i tried to make my living started out as a graphic designer and i didn't i didn't know anything about it but the only things that i figure that this chuck checkered background it's kind of zero point of you know creation it's a white uh canvas for graphic designers and it's beautiful the fact that it's not actually white canvas it's this checkerboard that i still don't know why it's this way not the other way and i wonder well, what if i bring it to real life and yeah as a fantastic statement of you know what is this color or what is this um uh, texture or what are this material and they say i don't know that's just a checkerboard it's the beginning well we'll figure it out together i yesterday was trying to download a free jpeg for a project i was working on and the jpeg had the transparent checker matted onto the photo so it made it look like you were going to get a transparent layer but i actually got a JPEG that had the transparent labor permanently on it. And it kind of reminded me of how much of my generation is about these workarounds and uh, cracks, downloading things for free, especially in the music world as well. We establish hip hop, establish sampling and found ways in which using someone's sample illegally became legal or was even ignored or created all these cultures around it. And I see all of that in the way that you use some of these internet references. And especially I want to know, did you get to make that pool? There's like a, there's a rendering of you potentially making a pool that was checkered in the like Photoshop transparent look i don't know if it was just a render but i was tripped out i was like i love this idea it's almost like a a, a pool that's a black hole that's a good reference it's actually i use just the white and gray tiles together that create this feeling and once i've done room that was fully covered every single surface with this checkered even we printed in curtains floor ceiling and then we had one object that was a different color and was pretty stand out. People really, you know, they're tripping there. Uh, it is very trippy. <laughs> so trippy. But it's it's kind of like getting inside of my mind. You know, when I think, when I'm thinking about the space first, I don't know what color and material, you know, it's, it's just a neutral um, background. And that's a kind of symbol for this part. So it's like unfinished idea, basically, which become a like of final one. Transformism is something that's central to your work and even maybe something that you've coined for your um, artistic style and your process. Can you talk to listeners a little bit about what transformism is and how it's applied? So lately, you know, it's interesting because for the my practice is turning ten years next year, and everyone. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Um, and everyone asks me very normal question: What is the style? What how you call this style? You know, and I always was hesitating to um, respond in this question because I didn't really know. Not that I don't know and navigate myself with the styles, but I just don't know which one will perfectly explain my practice and what I'm trying to say. So I had to came up with my own style. And then I started to research, you know, kind of DNA and formal of my work and the things that I like to uh, bring from one project to another. And I found this beautiful word as a transformism that doesn't do anything with design at all. It's just a word that the etymology of this word coming from trans, which is the mm. idea of, you know, moving things from A to B and 
somehow change it in a way. And then form is just something that I work every day. You know, I work with forms. And this, uh, from one side, simple, beautiful word is actually describing the whole philosophy of, of my work because I believe in future and it's kind of utopia way of, you know, it's not a real uh, synopsis of future, just my utopia um, idea that in future we'll have only we will only have chance to transform things. So no longer we'll be able to produce anything. And mm. then, you know, as everyone wants to be, you know, we all play individual game. We want to be different and stand out. And that's why there is a certain numbers of designers, a certain number of fashion brands, you know, so each of us can have our own little moment and um, be different, which is beautiful. But then you will need to transform things that already exist and you will need to think how you can turn, I don't know, sink to vase or fruit bowl or, you know, it can be anything. Or you can have to break down car, different elements of vehicle and use it for God knows what. So, and I start this practice, um, as I said, 10 years ago, and I finally figured that it's, a big part of my work and I really enjoy it. There is nothing to do with recycle upcycle. It, recycling, it's just a technique of um, working with materials, but transformism, it's more about philosophy of, you know, thinking and living and um, earning thing and uh, choosing your surrounding uh with uh, objects yeah the the etymology of the word also obviously brings up for me as a queer person a lot of queer topics and i see a lot of playful referencing to non-gendered or non-binary objects or symbols of queerness or softness in the work that you do and so transformism also for me just hit a touch point for something that I find very, very at the forefront of uh, subcultures online and in music and in art, uh, aesthetics in major fashion brands that are encouraging people to play around with silhouettes and um, mixing what sections of stores they buy their things from depending on where they were already um, designated. And one object that I absolutely loved seeing you transform was the gamer chair. <laughs> you have a couple different gamer chairs that you've done. And could you could you give us a little story backline about the gamer chair? Are you a gamer? Are you even use gamer on on the background of one of your pieces? That's, I, I mean, I really like this parallel that you just bring. I totally agree with you. And the gamer chair, I, you know, in, I think in, in our interior design reality, you know, we want everything super cute and elegant and we don't like technical um, objects to be exposed. And gamer chair always kind of like, you know, mm. I mean, it has a specific thick uh, aesthetic that most people try to touch and not have any around. So now I was thinking, I mean, I, I see beauty of it. it and it, the beauty comes, comes from extreme comfort, you know, and you can look at the history of chairs, there's the numbers of them, but there is one winner that extremely comfortable. And I think we own the credit for, for this fact. And then I start thinking how I can transform this chair and make it cool without changing design and actually embrace it. And one of my message was to point on a beauty of it for someone who maybe, you know, um, doesn't see beauty in that. Piece. And it's uh, and many things in my work. I'm trying to point in beauty somewhere where most people will think it's simple or 
even ugly. And that's the idea of lace. Actually, well, the first one was a lace uh, game chair and then was different colors and then the adopted being denim. Um, yeah. I love the lace one especially because it touched on something else. When I first saw your work, the first thing I thought was, how would I grow old in these spaces? And um, would my body even be able to grow old within them? And then when I saw the gamer chair in lace, because for me, you know, uh, as someone who loves TikTok culture and grew up a gamer and, you know, have sometimes had to sit and watch boyfriends play games for hours and figure out what I was going to do. Uh, I loved the gamer chair becoming a feminized object or a non-gendered object or even a hyper-feminized uh, object for different spaces that they normally weren't allowed. But seeing you turn it into like grandma's chair was something very different for me. It was like, oh, this this is a comfortable chair. That's why people like to use it. It's ugly because comfort sometimes can be ugly. But Harry is actually making this comment of how generationally someone could look at their work. And I, I yeah, I wonder if you if you think any grandmas are going to sit in that chair anytime soon. You know, um, my... I, I have very Parisian situation in my studio and I can literally see what's happening across the street from other people apartments and I you know one man an older man he has exactly the same chair but without the lace I think in the end of the day comforts comfort winning you know and killing design so instead of fighting with this I guess we just have to find a way how to not hate it comfort is winning <laughs> that is the quotable from this interview for sure i love it the battle against ugly comfort and i'm the wrong person I... to talk about comfort you know i'm the <laughs> famous to do things that are extremely uncomfortable but like the chairs uh at your dinner table with the one circular back Almost, I was like, oh, that, that it's either going to be a complete reset or complete torture. Exactly. But then again, I'm always leaning into the table anyway, so who needs a back? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did want to see if you have ever done any specific design projects for nightclubs or musicians. Um, you know, lately, I, I started working with uh, different musicians and... I'm kind of like digging in the culture of listening rooms and environment of recording studio. And I think my work can easily respond to their needs. And I actually very fascinating about this world. You know, it's, it's, they're also artists and they're just like not looking at things, but they listen to things. And for them, it's the most important thing to how things sounds, but then they want to also make things look nice and, it's interesting task to think about the sense and the sensibility of uh, musicians. I really love it. Have you any examples of your take, your studio's take on a functional need for like a sound room or a musician, something sound related? Mm, you know, as I like to spend time with my uh, collaborator or find a lot to just understand their, you know, their day-to-day -day life, like simple things. And I figured they're, they're really, the musicians are really, um, they really like to hang it out. They like to share what they create with the people that are close to them. And they like to know their opinion. And they just, it's just all about hanging out and listen music, you know, and the space are not really uh, catering towards that, you know, because usually it's, it's the recording studio, it's just the chairs, and they're kind of like someone is standing, someone sitting, but my idea was to create a space that fully covered with uh, soft cushions that everyone can just sit everywhere they want, their personal 
style because someone wants to be like sitting super low, someone wants to like play in a wall, and it's just different um, way of you embracing um, sound where your body position and it's kind of like becoming the most important thing in the room and then you will feel comfortable to receive you know uh music and kind of like use your sensibility comfortably so that was interesting uh experience because in music in the sound system there is no room to make it sounds better it's i mean it's already amazing technology you know it's like either it comes with as a granite and you have to think about the rest of the situation which i think no one really think about Hmm. i guess that draws me to to my curiosity on whether or not you're like a room two, like a chill out room ambient r&b kind of person or do you enjoy a main room big stage, dance floor, which one would you prefer? Which one are you big in more? Stage. Tell me more about this. The big stage? Yeah. So, for example, uh, in Germany, we would have Berghain Panorama Bar. So you'd have Upstairs, which, which is Panorama Bar, which I guess would be the like disco chiller room, a lot more seating. And then you have Berghain, which is the main room, big, empty hall, banging music, can't really hear what other people are saying, more escapist. You know, right now we've been working on um, new nightclub, night, nightclub experience in Berlin where I'm as a, you know, nightclub kid back in the day. Remember myself uh, of, you know, being around the people and all the question about being like, extremely confident or super insecure and all this, you know, internal bottles inside of you, I kind of want to bring it to design and try to explain um, through objects and through color and light the experience of your uh, behavior. Like um, as a young kid or, you know, whoever, I guess in, in Berlin, there's all tied of generation can go and I like love it. It was one of my most interesting ex professional experience because that's where you don't think about uh, surfaces and how things looks like. You more think about how you feel there and it's completely different experience. You know, it's not museum, it's not gallery, it's not kitchen. It's, uh, it's a space where people and then just to close their eyes and feel safe. Um, and I really like it. I like to do more I, things like this. I'm curious what your association to, especially in Europe, and how it's exported a specific style from nightlife into all different worldwide cultures that references uh, the east and west of post-soviet post-world war ii um design architect architecture and even just uh class and how especially in berlin what we see is now is like the balenciaga hard techno look that melds a little bit of this um cheaper look of let's say an an abandoned building or lesser means or something that looks like it could be picked up off the floor and made more expensive. A lot of it really draws to these references of uh, the post-Soviet era. You know, one of my friend galleries from Berlin, he came to one of my exhibitions that we did in Paris during Paris Plus, and it was this huge fountain uh, of sinks, super fine, um, sleek, very, you know, tech installation. And the whole background was super raw. And he said, like, well, you know, for our, for us, people who live in Berlin, it's, you know, we're super um, used to and kind of fed up of this raw, exposed thing. 
And I was like, wow, that's interesting because for us, it's, you know, it's the the most juicy thing in the world is like playing high and low. I don't really know if, if, you know, when you own this beauty of um, high and low and you have this already, this architecture is coming as a granite for you and any places are looking insane if you can really appreciate it being inside there. So I think... Um, for me, it's an endless inspiration, and I would always use it as much as I can. Uh, but I don't know if the, you know, people who live in Berlin, that's a question for you guys. Tell me if you really like it, you have it, or you just kind of resonates or something else, as you already own this one and you want to have something different, interesting. Well, it it's interesting also just the idea that you came from a very, very personal relationship to the aesthetics of high and low, and that that has become so incredibly a part of the cool machine of right now. And I wonder if at, at any moment here and there you get protective over it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think after... 2000s when we all try to completely destroy um, all the lost history layers and cover it with new world, with new feeling. And I guess what was missed is the, the sense of the, you know, reality and um, the appreciation of what we had and I guess now we just start to like unleash it this part and make it as a new luxury which I think people start appreciating more now and in, in the contrast of you know taking the wallpaper and say oh my god look at this wall it's so beautiful and just staring at this destroy exposed like ugly wall and think it's beautiful I think it's beautiful too but in 2000s, it was completely impossible. I think it's just our internal sense. We want to see sometimes, you know, ugly fashion, ugly design, because we've been treating with uh, beauty for so long, and then everything just became so polished and perfect and I mean, I guess people disagree and say, listen, there are so many ugly things in the world, but in design, but I'm saying mostly like in a front wall display reality where everything has to be extremely calculated and polished. And I think that we kind of find that we're missing soul and there, and that's why we want to see real things, even they're not necessarily like, perfect that's just i guess my take on it that's so cool i i guess I've, i'm having an aha moment with having you describe your relationship to this minimalism and the way you're infusing life into something that i guess was a beast already uh and that to me also talks a bit about the worlds that you work in as maybe someone who's more conceptual and creating a fan base based off of your personal ideas and style. But there's largely the work is for private collectors. You could call them collectors or just in terms of interior architecture, it's people who are hiring you to kind of make their home how they want it to be in a way, like flush out their ideas of what their individual comfort is. And in um and you're kind of getting your own way by by making sure that some of that humanity is infused into something that might have already been expected to be requested like i want something ultra minimal and you're like i'll give you something ultra minimal but then i'm also going to give you something that really humanizes this space in a way that you didn't expect exactly and i agree with you and i think people experience like a normal way of living where you know you have to have a beige sofa and like wood doors and this kind of things and an industry kind of navigated you through 
you know, sort of like social class and all kind of things that I've been always sick of it and I always try to reject and um, change it through my practice. And I think my collectors, my clients are people who've been, have seen it all and they just, they just don't want to follow uh, these rules because, you know, in fashion, right now, you it's so progress, you can choose in different price points, so many different looks, and you can express yourself in so many different ways, but, you know, in interior, it's still like three, four, five different ways, it's like, you know, it can be a, a minimalism or, I don't know, a Bali style, you know, a lounge, and we don't really want to be around this, maybe, maybe we want something else. And that's where I guess the conversation with Crosby usually starting. So I have a wild card question for you. Did you ever watch MTV Cribs when you were growing up? What is a Cribs? I watch MTV a lot, but I don't know about the Cribs. Okay. Did you ever watch any of the shows where they would tour people's homes, especially like rappers or oh, musicians? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's like an art installation always when you live in. I was like, wow. I mean, what do you think about it? I I've always loved the idea that our generation, millennials and younger people, they've been informed by musicians and football players, people who kind of often, especially like rock bands and rappers, personally, I feel like have horrendous style and horrendous tastes when it comes to what they're going to put in these giant homes. And a lot of the times it came out later that the homes were just rented and everything was rented. And even when they had that opportunity to do that, when, when I was most impressionable about what success or what you could do with a lot of money looked like, it was video games and bad neon signs and, and really ugly couches and maybe some gamer chairs, you know, like the, the, these, these aesthetics that now have become ultra, ultra, uh, ironic and cool. And also the idea that um, building the aesthetic of a home also came with the idea of how to impress people in, because it was going to be shown off in these, what is now social media, but then was just PR pieces to promote your, your fame. And that to me sometimes gets enveloped in some of the pieces that you, you display with your work. These ideas that pop culture has entered the chat or TikTok has entered the chat or something that maybe you saw on Cribs has now been transformed into something that's much more thoughtful but has a similar youthful and naivete to it. I mean, I think, you know, it's a back of the day, it's like, it's really shows me that how the industry was shaped, you know, and that designers, they has been, been around their music industry, what was available back in the day, you know, how the range of styles, the range of furniture, it's it's not like today when you can literally reach out to someone on Instagram and say like, hey, I want you to design my house. I don't know what's the things like really happening, but I look at Solange apartment and I, Thinks, oh wow, that's so beautiful, you know. And it probably it took like I don't know thirty years to make beautiful things accessible in this sophisticated way of um, living and expressing your fashion style through your interior style, through your personal style, and it's kind of like all intertwined and. I think we're all fascinated by how spacious and rich and all the spaces made out of money was, and it's really hard to ignore it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't thought about 
how limited the options were. And then nowadays, how you can use social media, but also that the algorithms are getting better at figuring out what our personal style is and getting us in touch with the people who can transform those ideas into something fantastic or rich. Exactly. So I guess my question for you now is, uh, what's on your playlist? Hmm. Let me see what's in my playlist. So I like uh, all the 2000 essentials, 90 essentials. Uh, I really Hit like, me with some names. I mean, it's so basic. I like TLC, you know, all this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm super, super flat and basic. You won't surprise on anything, but sometimes I like to listen... <laughs> Classic music. I like Chopin, Mozart, and I really, really like Quiet Time when I don't hear any voices. You know this new um, uh, um, noise cancellation. Noise cancellation thing. It's like my new favorite thing in the world. When I first time put them in there, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna run without any music, so I don't hear the voices." So it's like awesome. Almost like I'm in nature, being in the most busy city in the world. Noise cancellation is almost like the gray and white checker of the sound world now. Oh my God, you're so right. That conversation still has me buzzing. I must say I'm more of an IRL interviewer and it can be challenging for me to have long conversations over a digital screen. So much can get lost along the way with technical issues or even mimicry and gestures. But in this case, it translated so well into what Harry does with his designs, and I just love speaking with him. So another thank you goes out to Harry and his team at Crosby Studios. As promised, I put a bunch of links in the show notes for you to check out Harry's work and make sure to check out his work in reality too, if you can. So I guess that's it for this Electronic Beats conversation, but there will be more, promise. There will be a new episode of the week on Thursday. So until then, make sure to stop scrolling, but smash the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. This Electronic Beats conversation was produced by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories.